Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Because of the experience I had last year as the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor running with Stacey Abrams, I have the credibility of having run a statewide campaign. And with very little money, $1.6 million, getting 1.823 million votes. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, it's Friday. Yesterday was a bananas news day. Sarah and I are coming to you from Denver, Colorado, where we are here for the Evolving Faith Conference. We are going to talk about everything that unfolded from the White House lawn and where we are in the impeachment inquiry before sharing with you something uplifting to take you into the weekend. So we're going to start with the depressing and we are going to end with people out there working to make a difference as we share our conversation with dear friend of the podcast, Sarah Rigzamico, candidate for the Democratic nomination for the United States Senate in Georgia. Before we do that, we still have tickets for the Nuance Nation tour in Dallas and Washington, D.C. Don't delay. They are going quickly. You can find the link for that in our show notes. Okay, Sarah, today, I think we put to bed questions about the accuracy of the whistleblower complaint. I was just thinking about the statement, it was a bananas news day with regards to impeachment. Is evergreen. Like, I never thought of our show as an evergreen show, because in theory, we're always dealing with of-the-moment news, but... Trump lashed out and made the impeachment situation even crazier. We could just use that every week, I think, probably moving forward. I just asked you how long before he uses the F word on Twitter, and you're like, days, (laughs) mere moments. He's melting down is what we're trying to say. Let's just go ahead and play for you the audio from the White House lawn if you have not already heard it. I think it's really important to hear the president in his own words share his request to foreign governments to investigate Joe Biden and his son. Well, I would think that if they were honest about it, they'd start a major investigation into the Bidens. It's a very simple answer. 
they should investigate the Bidens because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at, and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. That was a crooked deal, 100%. One quibble with your description of that audio. Foreign authoritarian governments, not just like Germany, could you help us out? No, China. China, this country that you are fighting a massive trade war with, with human rights abuses. I just, why? Why are Republicans not lining up to condemn this statement? I mean, I understand that you guys have picked some talking points, but just for a moment, imagine what it would be like if a Democratic president or presidential candidate started requesting the help of foreign governments. There are going to be a lot more Democratic governments that are willing to help us than really want to work with the Trump administration at this point. So, I mean, I just... How do we how do we get everybody's attention on this? I'm concerned. Chuck Todd had some very serious statements. Chuck Todd opened Meet the Press Daily by saying this is a crisis. It's a national nightmare. There's no way to mince words about it. And I think that's the really key thing today in America. We need to stop pretending that there are factual disputes here. Mm -hmm. What our argument is now is what do these facts mean? And that is an argument that we would not have had even two years ago, I don't think. But that is the reality. It really bothers me when Republicans are trying to say, don't look at the whistleblower complaint. That person didn't have firsthand knowledge. Or the call memorandum doesn't exactly say what Adam Schiff said it says. Well, you know what? We don't have to question that anymore. That's cool because I don't think the call said exactly what they said in that memorandum. The president has given us, in his own words, the facts here. And the only dispute is what we think those facts mean. I want to make sure to distinguish that I don't think Ukraine is an authoritarian government. I think it's a government that's struggling. But I China think is. China is certainly an authoritarian government. And China is, like Ukraine, a government over whom this president is seeking to assert leverage on trade, on Hong Kong. CNN is reporting that the president assured President Xi of China in a June phone call that he would not speak out forcefully on the protest in Hong Kong. I'm fully disgusted by that. We have such a mix of whose interests are at the table, and I think the answer is never the whole of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm having two paradoxical reactions. The one is, why are we surprised? This is a person who has been credibly accused by multitudes of women of sexual assault, and we all just live our daily lives with him as the president, knowing what we know about him, including videotape from the Access Hollywood, where he admitted to his behavior towards women. We're going to be talking about the anniversary of Me Too, so this is, like, very fresh on my mind. So there's a part of me that's like, he, he's done this before. He's going to behave so badly and do it so openly that we all become acquainted, gaslit, browbeaten. I don't even know the words. To sort of just feeling disempowered and like, well, he's going to do it. That's how so many people have reacted when I begin talking about this impeachment query. Are you, oh, he's just going to get away with it again. So that's my first reaction. And then my second paradoxical reaction to that is, well, why are we surprised? Of course, he's going to just sort of be so flagrant that we are all sort of stunned into acquiescence. And then my second reaction is, there seems to be an undercurrent of... Well, he was elected, and we all knew how awful he was and how he behaved. So, therefore, everything that he does is sort of democratically approved and okay. And that is not the case, America. That is not the case. We cannot let this person who, listen, I quibble with the whole idea that he was democratically elected, but 
devil's advocate, sure. And then just decide, well, because we knew how how he was, that therefore everything he does is okay. Man, we gotta draw a line in the sand somewhere. I've had a couple of conversations lately, and we got a very thoughtful email from a listener about this that kind of went like this. And this is a Republican talking point, too, right? That there's just been this obsession with investigating him. And because there has been an obsession with investigating him, that somehow lessens what we're looking at. That's not what our listener said, but that is the tone that I've gotten from several people in my just daily life orbit. And that's certainly what Republicans want us to be thinking And I want to say how I totally understand that we want Congress to be more than an investigative body. I totally understand the frustration with congressional hearings, especially those that are grandstanding moments where it seems like people are just trying to build a resume to either eventually run for president or have a cushy cable news job. I understand that frustration. I understand that Congress has been completely inept at consistently passing budgets, for example, and doing good work on behalf of the American people. At the same time, I believe that investigative function is very, very important. I think no matter who the president is, Congress should be a thorn in that person's side. That's what co-equal branches of government do. They should be able to work together. It should not be so toxic. But I want every document reviewed. I want everything combed through. I want to know if corruption is existing, whether we intend it or not, by virtue of the significant and unparalleled power held by the executive. So I am not for a second angry at Democrats for investigating this president who gives them something new to investigate daily by his own conduct, because I think they should be doing this work even if he were not what he is. But the idea that it's kind of like my child saying to me, Mom, why do you why are you so obsessed with me cleaning my room as a way to avoid cleaning the room? Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we are. And honestly, with this impeachment inquiry, I feel like I, you know, a long tribal council at Survivor like I'm done talking, I'm ready to vote. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else needs to be uncovered here. I want every representative and senator on the record as to whether this is okay with them or not. Yeah. I heard a historian, and I apologize, I can't remember where, talking about how concerned the founding fathers were with foreign intervention. It's really, I think, hard for all of us to remember that, you know, we were such we were such a baby country. We did not have much of a military. We certainly didn't have, you know, the booming economy many of the European countries did, and they were so worried that we wouldn't last because our leaders would fall prey to um, foreign bribes or foreign interference or, you know, when people go to the top of a government and they are thirsty for power, motivated by power, then the problem is you can use that position and fall prey to the idea of global power, to the idea of um, power in other countries, wealth, all these things. There's such a risk and it still is. He is doing this because he is thinking about himself. He is asking them to investigate, not because he's concerned about corruption, but because he has a vendetta, because he has an obsession with the 2016 election about his own power, the perception of power. If he didn't want to, if he didn't want, if he wanted to get things done and wanted to avoid all this investigation, there would have been a many, many, many paths available to him. But he has chosen one, which is to be obsessed with conspiracy theories and his own history and his the story that's being told about his election. And it is so disturbing and ridiculous. And the idea that we would all stand by and not say, here and no further, Because the world has changed so much since the Founding Fathers. Not just because they were originally concerned, but because now in our global world and our global economy and the fact that the world has shrunk in a way, then we should be even more concerned about a country like China being invited to interfere in our elections. And I still, I'm going to scratch this itch one more time. 
I truly believe that part of the reason that the foreign interference doesn't set America aflame like I think it should is because we told them that there was foreign interference, but that the election results were still sound. And that is hard to make sense of. It is hard to tell somebody something very, very, very serious happened in the 2016 election. And also you should still trust the results. I just don't think that makes sense. And I think it's hard to tell people it's so serious, but don't worry. There was no different outcome. Like that really still bothers me. And I think that's why you don't see such a strong, like how much more would people react to the idea that he's inviting China to interfere in our elections if we had either had to revote or something like a, we'd had to had to go through another election or we had seen Vice President Mike Pence or like some outcome, you know? And maybe that's what impeachment will do. Well, will show everyone in a really real, real way. Like, this is important. We cannot stand this because then we're all put through this national nightmare one more time. I don't know which way that would go because my countervailing concern is that a lot of Americans don't take this seriously because all they think about is the binary choice. Is it Trump or is it a Democrat? And the Republican Party has done an outstanding job branding Democrat as something to fear no matter who it is and no matter what the circumstances for their base. And so I would like to say that I think it would matter to see how big a deal it would be to vote again or to have had some change around the 2016 election results. I think that could do what you're describing. I think there's a scenario in which that also hardens his support. But here's the thing. I don't want to be afraid of that 35% when it comes to questions as serious as whether we invite foreign governments to investigate United States citizens. To me, this is one, this is the hill you die on. If you are a Republican sitting in Congress, this is the hill you die on. What is the point of serving your country as an elected official if you don't care about this? If you're out there defending this, what is the point of any of it? Well, and also, let me just speak to your pragmatic, Machiavellian, base instincts. You want this coming for you, friend? You're Joe Schmo senator or... Jane Doe representative, you want to open these floodgates? You think it's hard now? You think a full-time job of call time sucks now? What about if there's a million factors you can't control, like the interference of China or Iran or Saudi Arabia in every single one of our elections? What then? More basic than that, do you all want every time one of your children asks you to meet someone on their behalf? You know, this China story is about a handshake that Hunter Biden arranged for Joe Biden that eventually led to a business opportunity for him. Now, I do not think that's great. I also think that happens 6,000 times a day in Washington, D.C. and everywhere else. People in positions of power hold on to that power by affording opportunities to people they are close to. And For this to be made into something that the president believes is corruption on a global level that justifies international investigation of American citizens, I would be ready if I were him and his children who do this on the daily and a lot of sitting members of Congress who do this kind of thing all the time for the backlash to this. I think we can walk and chew gum. I think we can have a conversation about what we expect of people in positions of power. That is a secondary issue to me, to the fact that the commander in chief of the United States military seems completely disloyal to our country in this respect. This exact kind of issue is what people in Hong Kong have spent 17 weeks in the street protesting. This idea that a foreign government should wield power over its citizens. 
Not even a foreign government in that case, right? It's one country, two systems. This is a very, very big deal. And that's what I would offer to people who are struggling in your families with these conversations. Can we try to get our loved ones to separate these issues out? This is not a binary choice. This is not about whether you want Elizabeth Warren or Donald Trump to be the president. This is about whether the president can do these things. We are a far cry from what you think about tax policy or about abortion, or about any of the other issues that people really care about. This is truly about whether one individual is worth shifting every expectation we have about what the person who holds that office ought to be and do. Also, I would like to offer a recommendation because I think I'm not here to defend Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, but I read the very long Um, Vanity Fair, Pete, wait, was it Vanity Fair? Yeah. I read the very long Vanity Fair piece about Hunter Biden that came out in the summer and it offered a lot of really interesting context and perspective. And I say that, I mean, the handshake thing, whatever, but this week Fox News put up the story and said, here's further proof. Here's Joe and Hunter Biden playing golf with a Burisma executive, which was patently false. This dude, and I knew this because of the article, was Hunter Biden's business partner in his consulting group. Now, they both independently served on Burisma's board, but he was not an executive. They were longtime business partners, and it was just like the way they were trying to manipulate that information. So I feel like getting all that background with Hunter Biden so you're not stuck in this place where like, well, I saw this latest thing on Fox News, and you don't know what the heck they're talking about, was really helpful. But I just... (sighs) Yeah, can I say, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that the Biden family has done anything illegal. I do Mm -hmm. not think that reporting is credible. I do think that they probably did some legal things that we wouldn't feel great about, whether it's the Biden family or anybody else in a position of power, using that power and influence. What's so interesting about the article is they talk about like, Joe and Hunter had this basically agreement like, we don't talk about it, especially when Hunter became a lobbyist. We're not going to talk about business, which sounds... Great in theory, but in practice probably harmed them much more because their refusal to talk about it um, led to them not saying, well, I was thinking this. Oh, no, that's not going to work. That's a problem. Like they never expressed each other's opinions about it. And I'm like, well, that really made sense. I don't believe for a hot minute that Donald Trump and Ivanka aren't talking about her intellectual property request in China. I can tell you that much. The hypocrisy of this, his concern with corruption, why the corruption investigations aimed at him and his hotels and his children get closer and closer. Just so often it feels like you're, you're standing in the rain and he's telling you the sun is shining. Like the idea that you were doing this because you were concerned about corruption at all, much less the fact that that would be hypocritical is just so concerning. And asking China to investigate as if you could trust this authoritarian government to run a fair investigation full of due process and protection of people's rights. It's it's so, it is horrifying. I think that a lot of what's going to happen over the next few days is additional obfuscation. I think there's going to be a lot of disinformation placed into the public eye because there's nothing to be done here other than try to muddy it up. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that can change what the president himself is saying. And so we're just going to try to muddy it up. The New York Times reporting about the whistleblower having consulted with an aide to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence soon spun into the president accusing Adam Schiff of writing the whistleblower complaint. That is not what the story said. That is not what the story said. The story said Adam Schiff never met the whistleblower, that the whistleblower talked to an aide who then talked to Adam Schiff because there are processes in place And people follow those processes. We're just going to keep getting people twisting facts because what else is there to do here if you are not willing to stand up and say, this is not acceptable. And that's, I I just, I'm just ready for them to vote. I'm ready to hear members of Congress declare on the record. I'm ready for them to put their name to a vote that this is okay or not. It's no wonder that we're all feeling a little spun out and overwhelmed because all he does constantly 
is lie and then tell us he's the only one to be trusted with the truth. The only two things that come out of his mouth are lies and you should only listen to me. Well, we will continue to talk about this endlessly, I'm sure, until the process is over because it is incredibly important. But now let's turn our attention to the Senate, which matters a lot in 2020, and someone who we believe to be extremely honorable out there doing the work to serve the country in a principled way, Sarah Riggs Amico. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So delighted to have Sarah Riggs Amico back on Pantsuit Politics. We talked with Sarah as a candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Georgia. We are now talking with her as a candidate for Senate in Georgia. Sarah, thank you for being here and spending time with us. Well, thank you so much for having me back. You know, I love being with y'all. So great to be here. Tell us about what's going on in Georgia because you have two open Senate seats now. And I think the reporting about the races has been pretty confusing. So can you just walk us through the landscape? Yes, it is confusing. I mean, at the same time, it's very exciting. So Uh Democrats need, right? Uh, Democrats need to take either three or four seats, depending on the outcome of the presidential election, to flip control of the United States Senate. And given all of the work that we did last year uh, to really expand the electorate and make it much more blue uh, down in Georgia, I think we're really well positioned for two or uh, two of the three or four seats that we need to 
take control of the U.S. Senate to come right in Georgia. So it is an incredibly exciting time. So the two races break up as follows. Uh, David Perdue is the junior senator from Georgia. He was elected in 2014 uh, to his first term, and he's seeking a full term of re-election, the uh, Republican who's the junior senator from the state. So I am running against him. I am running for the seat that was already scheduled to be on the ballot. In fact, when I announced on August the 27th, that was the only seat available. The day after I launched, in a bit of sort of incredibly fortuitous timing, Johnny Isaacson, the senior senator from our state, who has been around Georgia politics you know, for a very long time, announced that he is retiring at the end of this year early, uh, largely due, I believe, to health considerations. And so that triggers a special election for the remaining two years of his term. His term was scheduled to be up in 2022, but because of the timing of his resignation under Georgia law, his seat will now go on the ballot next November. So in November of 2020, as Georgians are voting, hopefully for me, for the U.S. Senate against David Perdue and for whichever Democrat ends up on the presidential ballot, they will also be voting for the special election for Johnny Isaacson's seat. So that is right. And it's a jungle primary, meaning that there is no partisan primary in that race. The candidates in that race will all be on the general election ballot in November, (laughs) no matter what. Right. So no matter their party, you can have libertarians, you can have Democrats, Republicans, uh, no limited number of them. So whoever's running for the seat will be on the ballot at the same time we're voting for president. And if no candidate, no individual candidate clears 50 percent of the vote plus one vote, so a clear majority, then the top two finishers will go into a runoff that will be held, I believe, on January 5th of 2021. So between the general election in November, when we pick our next president, and January, it's quite possible that the only race in the United States will be this runoff for a Senate seat in Georgia. And it's also possible that that race may well control the outcome of who controls the U.S. Senate. Isn't it possible that you could have runoffs in both? Oh, absolutely. So there. Oh, my load. <laughs> I know. So there are currently four candidates, including me, who are declared for the Purdue seat. And if none of us wins the primary outright, we would also have a primary probably sometime in July. Uh, so it's a very exciting time. I think this is a great thing, not only for Democrats, but for Georgia. So my view, and you guys have heard this before, is that Georgia is not a red state. I'm not even sure I think it's a purple state. I think it's a blue state that had a little bit of a voter suppression and turnout problem. Mm-hmm. And and the work that we did last year focused on the participation side, right? Registering more voters to vote. You know, I think in particular, there's no question Stacey Abrams has led that work in our state for more than a decade. And I'd like to think the rest of us helped too and the state party. We really worked to expand the electorate. We brought in hundreds of thousands of new voters in 2018. Probably one of the things I'm most proud of is how many new voters we got to the ballot box. Uh, I'm very proud that We tripled Asian American Pacific Islander turnout. We tripled the Latinx vote. We doubled the youth vote. Um, So we really focused on this participation piece of it. And unfortunately, you know, after the election, we saw that the voter suppression piece and the election security piece also need a lot of work. So I think all of if we continue to expand the electorate, And we also work really diligently to um, ensure everybody has every eligible voter has equal access to the polls. Um, If we work really diligently to keep the spotlight on the secretary of state's office and the administration of the election so that it's a, a very clean process, hopefully, you know, I'd argue it's already a blue state. And having two Senate races, particularly Senate races that are this high profile and high visibility, I think will bring a lot of national media attention to Georgia. 
It'll bring a lot of national investment. Um, I believe the presidential campaign is likely to contest the state and really make an investment. And I think that's good for everyone. That's not just good for Democrats. Like that is wonderful for the people of Georgia. You know, that increased media spotlight is going to make it a lot harder for the Republicans to engage in the kind of uh, voter suppression shenanigans that we saw last year, hopefully. <laughs> and, and I think on the other hand, you know, the increased importance of the Georgia Senate elections for both seats will put the focus on the issues. And my view is Democrats win hands down, right? There's only one party in this country right now that's fighting to expand your family's access to affordable health care. And that's the Democrats. There's one party fighting to invest in election security and restore the Voting Rights Act in its full form. And that's the Democrats. There's one party that wants to make sure we secure the economic security of our workers' futures by taking up emergency pension relief. And that's the Democrats. So I welcome the attention we're going to get as a state. I think we're ready for it. I think we did the groundwork. We're continuing to do the work. But more importantly, it's going to bring a lot of attention to the issues that I think favor Democrats pretty profoundly. Talk with us about that emergency pension relief, because you made the decision to run for Senate in the midst of a professionally demanding and difficult time. And I would love for you to share how you're thinking about this issue in particular and and just kind of bring everybody up to speed on what's going on with your company. I'm the chairman of a company called Jack Cooper. We are a car hauler. So if you've ever seen these double-decker trucks driving down the road full of cars, that is precisely what we do. I'm very proud to be a union company. Uh, We have about a little over 2,000, maybe 2,200 Teamsters and machinists in our business. And we've fiercely worked to remain a union company that uh, protects its collective bargaining unit, protects our workers' rights to organize. And the reality is we kind of got caught um, in the middle of a couple of phenomenons. Number one, this trade war, which started with steel and aluminum tariffs in, I believe, January of 18 had a chilling effect on American manufacturing, including the automakers, my customers, right? The General Motors and Fords. And as the instability of these large pricing inputs into their products, right? It takes a lot of steel and aluminum to build cars. Um, As that volatility went up, as the trade war created a lot of uncertainty, there was a lot of pressure put on the suppliers in the automotive ecosystem, like mine, the companies who service the automakers to squeeze costs. And because we're a union company, because we pay for everybody's health insurance, um, because we protect the pensions of our workers, we're a little bit more expensive than the non-union guys. So we lost a good amount of business um, as that happened. And unfortunately, at the same time, you know, back in the 1980s, there were probably maybe 40 union car haulers. Most of my industry was unionized. And today we're down to really two big companies left in the union space. Everybody else has gone under. It's very hard to invest in your people and succeed in a a really competitive marketplace. So um, between the rise of the non-union carriers and the trade war, we started to really look at how can we secure the long-term future of the business? We're a 91-year-old company, and my job as the executive chairman is to make sure that the company is in operation for another 91 years. And um, as we started to look into that work, we realized that the pension liabilities we had amassed had had mushroomed considerably. So um, as a union company, we're very proud that our collective bargaining unit members have a pension, a defined benefit pension program called the Central States. It's a Teamster pension fund. You know, it's been around for long before I was born. And it's been, you know, it's had trouble over the years, probably also before I was born, that probably started. And um, what's happened is as union membership across the country has declined, those pension plans have really um, been squeezed. So for example, our pension fund has more than, I think, 210,000 retirees, but only about 61,000 folks paying into it. So 
um, the math in terms of sustaining those pensions has become very difficult. And as a result, employers who are still in the pension fund amass what's called an underfunded pension liability. So in the event the pension goes insolvent, which central states, our pension fund is scheduled to go under in about 2024, absent pension relief. Um, when it goes under, the companies are obligated to pay their share of the underfunded liability. And in 2017, our business, our pension liability two years ago was about $1.2 billion. So it was huge. It's grown from $1.2 to $2 billion. Wow. And so in 2024, when that pension goes underwater, our company will be on the hook for that $2 billion. And it was the kind of event that would literally put us out of business for good. And I take that responsibility for those workers very seriously. And we were faced with a choice, um, you know, in the spring of this year, do you, you know, cross your fingers and just hope it works out or accept that the company will go out of business when the pension fund goes under, or do you fight and fix it? And you guys know I, I'm a fixer. <laughs> so we went in and we get rid of that $2 billion liability. And at the same time, one of our junior lenders, who's been very supportive of the business, a great partner for us, came forward and said, we believe in this business. We believe in the union. We believe in the American auto industry. And uh, they turned $300 million of their debt into equity. And they put in about $35 million, I think, ultimately, is what the total will be of new money. And we will exit the bankruptcy uh, next month in October. Uh, you know, God willing, we're on track for that. Um, the union has ratified our deal. We'll exit it uh, with our collective bargaining agreement intact. No wage concessions, no health care cuts, um, 3,000 jobs saved, thousands of pensions saved. Our retirees are not taking any pension cuts. We didn't go back in and take from folks. Um, the way we made this all work is my family walked away from our equity. So, you know, I, look, I can build more equity some other time, uh, but I can't replace guys' pensions who drove a truck for us for 30 or 40 years. So I was proud to do it. We're very lucky. It was a very hard process. The Teamsters were amazing partners in this. We couldn't have done it without them. Um, but we all had to sit at the table and say, this is an existential threat to the company. And we think these are jobs and a business worth saving. Will you help us? And, you know, to their great credit, the union, the lenders and the pension fund and the management team all did. And it's been a it's been a very difficult process, but it's a near miraculous outcome, you know, to come to the other side of what was effectively a prearranged restructuring that unfortunately has to go through a, a chapter 11 filing um, for for a lot of reasons to get the kind of relief that we needed and the protection we needed. Um, the, the bankruptcy code provides that. But we come out the other side of that with the same management team, 3,000 jobs saved, no wage concessions, no health care cuts, and thousands of pensions saved. Uh, I'm very proud of the work we did. But I think it's not only not something I'm hiding from. I'm talking about it quite a lot, actually. It's the reason I'm running. I want people to look in the eyes of the people who are asking for their vote or to the people like Senator David Perdue, who's been a cheerleader for this president's trade war. And I want them to see what it looks like. I want them to look at the United States Senate and understand how important it is to securing the economic future of working people all over this country. You know, the U.S. House of Representatives passed something in the end of July called the Butch Lewis Act. It is a way to save these pensions, right? My pension happens to be, or the pension that we're in happens to be one of the first to go under, but the mine workers aren't far behind us. They may actually go insolvent before us. There are 1,400 multi-employer pension plans all over this country, and 125 of them are already critical and declining. And if too many of these funds go under, it'll also collapse the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, a federal insurance program designed to protect workers' pensions. You know, rather than take up that bill, the Butch Lewis Act that the U.S. House under Democratic leadership has already passed, rather than take it up, the Senate went on vacation. I mean, literally went into recess 
rather than work through August recess to save working people's retirement. And I think that's shameful. I think people like David Perdue should be held accountable for that. I've had to sit across the table from guys who drove a truck for us for 35 and 44 years and explain to them that I've done everything in my power. We're saving it. We're doing our job. The house did its job. But Mitch McConnell calls himself the Grim Reaper for a reason. And until they choose to act on this, working people everywhere in these multi-employer pension plans should be very nervous. They, they may not get the retirement that they've invested in, that they're owed, that they've earned. You know, pension funds are not a gift, guys. This is the workers' money they've dutifully and rightfully invested, that employers like me have invested in faithfully for decades. They're owed this money, and it is the job of the people in the U.S. Senate to take up the legislation that's been done in the House to provide relief. You know, the, the companies, those of us who are in these plans, the workers who are in them, we don't manage these funds. We didn't create the underfunded problem. <laughs> We didn't create right-to-work laws that have devastated union memberships and accelerated insolvency. These are things that we're trying to fix. And right now, we don't have a partner in securing those pensions in the U.S. Senate. But one way to get it is to make sure we elect a Democratic majority. And I think voters deserve to hear it. I am going to be out there talking about this trade war. No one wins a trade war, but the workers always lose. The farmers in Georgia are losing this trade war, and David Perdue should be held accountable. I think the GOP Senate majority should be held accountable for its abject failure to do pension relief. I want to protect economic security for working families. Very simple. Your health care, affordable housing, your opportunity to make a fair wage, your collective bargaining rights. And I think in order to make sure we can always do that, we're going to also have to protect you know, voting rights and election security. That's my platform. It's very straightforward. So this has been formative for me, but I also think it's exactly the kind of leader I'll be in the U.S. Senate for Georgia. If I see a problem, I will move heaven and earth to fix it. I will fight for your family the same way I fought for my workers' pensions and for their union and to save this business and their jobs. That's the kind of leader we need, not a guy that refuses to do a town hall for five and a half years like David Perdue. Sarah, I would imagine between this formative experience of going through this reorganization with your company and with also incredibly formative experience of running for a lieutenant governor, what major lessons are you bringing both professionally and about sort of the the wider state of Georgia and the wider state of our politics in the nation? What did you learn from both of those experiences that you're bringing to this race? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I love about running in this U.S. Senate uh, race in Georgia is I can bring the private sector experience. I can speak to what it's like to not only grow a business during the Great Recession in a union company in the industrial sector, you know, attached to this great American icon of the American auto industry, but I can now speak to the trade war, the pension crisis. And at the same time, because of the experience I had last year as the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor running with Stacey Abrams, I have the credibility of having run a statewide campaign. And with very little money, $1.6 million, getting 1.823 million votes. You know, we, we had a shoestring budget. So my answer was to go out and meet people, right? I mean, I traveled through 150 counties in like 10 months and sat in a lot of living rooms and listened to Georgians um, and what they're worried about. So to answer your question, the thing that I learned was, number one, this has to be a statewide campaign, right? You go, Running statewide is hard. It's a steep learning curve. I'm grateful I've already gone up at once, and I look forward to improving on the performance this year. But you have to run in all, all 159 counties. I also learned that voters independent of their politics, by and large, have similar hopes for their families, for their families' futures. They have a lot of fear about how the failure in Washington of people like David Perdue, the unwillingness to stand up for their families against special interests or the president or their majority leader, 
they have a lot of fear about how that affects their kids, how it affects the economic opportunity their family will have. And so, you know, the lessons for me were you need to continue to engage voters in all 159 counties. The lessons were make sure that you're listening in communities and figuring out what they need and what they want and how you can best represent their experience because we all live different experiences, right? That never forget, most people want similar things for their kids' future, right? That nobody wants to see people who are poor because they're sick or sick because they're poor. This is 2019 America. We're better than that. Uh, nobody wants to see the kind of cronyism and corruption that special interests have put into our federal politics. Nobody wants to see a Senate of 100 senators who fought tooth and nail to get those jobs sitting in a chamber and refusing to work with each other to do basic things like secure your family's pension or its future economically. Nobody wants to see a Senate that rubber stamps a trade war that's devastating our economy and our working people. So I think, you know, the partisan divide is a very inside baseball thing. But when you talk, when you take the partisanship out of it, when you talk about the issues, people share a lot of the same hopes and dreams and they have a lot of the same fears. And, and I think they want us to robust, you know, robust investments in infrastructure. They want increased access to affordable health care. Uh, they want to know that no matter if they're a man or a woman or gay or straight, they're going to make the same money for the same job. Right. These are the kinds of of hopes that I think Georgians as a whole, those are the values we have. Those are the values we want to see represented in office. And and I can tell you they're not getting it from David Perdue. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah, you have had a couple of years now of having to frequently speak carefully about incredibly complex issues. (laughs) The results of your race for lieutenant governor continue to get national media attention because of the election security issues that you've referenced. You've gone through the Chapter 11 process. Bankruptcy is a difficult word, even when it produces, as it can sometimes, a really healthy outcome for everyone. Mm -hmm. You have a crowded Democratic primary field for the Senate seat, and I would argue some biased coverage of that field. And so I just wonder how it feels to you to always be threading those needles and what capacity you're finding as you spend time talking with and listening to people in Georgia for folks to engage with the complexity of those issues. I tend to be a pretty direct speaker. You know, obviously there are not a lot of candidates out there (laughs) leading by talking about their chapter 11 restructuring and how that makes them, you know, a better candidate for the U S Senate. In my case, that happens to be true, but Um, I think I have a very simple philosophy, which is tell people the truth, you know, tell them what you think. Don't poll test what you believe. Not only does that not serve the candidate well, you know, voters are a lot smarter than a lot of people give them credit for, right? Especially Republicans. Um, you know, I don't think the Republicans give voters the credit they're owed. They can smell inauthenticity from a mile away. Voters know when somebody is speaking their heart, when they're being earnest and honest. And I think they respect people who also will say, look, it has not always been an easy road, or my life hasn't been a string of untarnished successes in every direction, right? Like uh, pressure makes diamonds. And, And for me, I feel like sharing some of those struggles, not just things like the restructuring at work, not just things like dealing with, you know, more than a hundred thousand votes missing from the machines in my election last year, that was a race decided by about the same amount of margin, not just, you know, the voter suppression that we saw writ large across Georgia last year. But I think voters respect somebody who acknowledges when, um, they've seen adversity and is willing to come forward and talk about what they learned from it and how it made them better. And, you know, Americans, uh, we have this incredible ethos where it's the old Rocky Balboa line, right? It's not about the number of times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up and, you know, you fight smarter, better, um, and with more passion, right? For me, I think it was a very good candidate last year, but I don't think I had the same sort of visceral connection to some of these economic security issues that I have now, because I have been through that fire. I have had to not only go around the state and tell people what I believe in and tell people how I think businesses should treat their workers and how that can make your business better, the economy better, the country stronger, our family stronger. I've now had the chance to show them that I meant it to be willing to walk away from equity to save 3000 jobs and all their wages and healthcare and thousands of pensions. And I do it again in a heartbeat. And I think if you tell voters the truth and if you share your challenges and if you have the humility to reflect on what you've learned from them, I think they respect it. And more importantly, I think they relate to it. I can't tell you the number of business people I've talked to who've told me about their own business struggles and how impressed they were to see us, you know, fight the good fight and come out and show the good guys can still win. I can't tell you the number of 
supporters who called or donors I've talked to who told me a story about their dad losing their pension or their mom was a teacher and her pension's underwater now. You know, we live in this world where everybody has that Instagram life, right? (laughs) Nobody puts up the pictures when your kids are having a tantrum at Target and you're kind of stuck in public, right? (laughs) Like everything is super polished. And, and the reality is, is we're all human. So we know it's not true. And for me, I'd like to run a different kind of campaign. I'd like to tell people what I really think. Um, I'd like to invite them to have a conversation about it. Tell me what they think. Let's see if we can't find some way to remember that we're all kind of in this boat together. And that's on issues from climate change to, you know, pension relief to health care to whether or not our democracy not only survives, but is strengthened and thrives from the challenges we faced over the last you know, few years. Uh, and, and candidly, over many of the challenges this democracy has faced since its inception, right? We're still dealing with the, the legacy of discrimination and inequity that comes from this country's original sin of slavery. We're still dealing with you know, a dramatic underrepresentation by race and gender in public office. And then we live with the consequences of that, right? I don't think if the Senate were 50-50 female, we'd still be debating access to birth control and abortion care, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, right, right, like representation matters. So I hear you on threading the needle, but I guess that sort of very deep thoughts with Sarah Amico answer is to say, for me, it's not about being careful so much as it is being honest and being vulnerable and letting voters, you know, see who I am and figure out if that's something that they can uh, be a part of, if they're willing to trust part of their family's future and economic security and the sort of critical decisions that determine who we are as a country in part to me. And if I want that kind of responsibility, they deserve to see the entirety of who I am and to hear directly from me as often as possible about what I think and how I lead. So it's not so much about being careful as it is making sure you say things in a way that invite people into conversation. And, you know, I try not to assign intent where we don't know what intent was, but to really talk about the consequences of policy failures and political failures, right? Washington tends to be a very self-congratulatory place, is my observation. And uh, if your family's hurting, if you're worried about making rent at the end of the month, if you're worried your family farm is going to go under because of a trade war, your president, your ag secretary, and your Senator Purdue tell you is good for you, um, you don't want to see your president on cable news talking about the stock market. Mm-hmm. you, you want to know how your family is going to be protected. And so that's the kind of campaign I'm going to run. And I think less, less than careful, it's more about trying to frame the conversations in a way that are less about me and more about how we all move forward together. Well, Sarah, thank you for always coming and bringing your full and honest and vulnerable self and experiences to our conversations. We love having you on the podcast. Tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about your campaign, to make a donation, and to support you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. So you guys can join us. Check out our website. We would love your support. I would love for you to be a part of this. Our website is sarahforgeorgia.com. So that's www.sarahforgeorgia.com, sarahforgeorgia.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Sarah Riggs Amico. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Sarah for Georgia. You can get us at Sarah Riggs Amico on Facebook and, you know, come be a part of the conversation. I think we live in this world now where so often people don't feel invited to participate in you know, the, the self-governance we're all a part of. <laughs> and, and I think one of the, right. One of the silver linings of the Trump era is that, People are stepping up, right? 
whether that's moms are who are, you know, quote, demanding action on common sense gun relief because we're the ones that have to drop off our kids at school the day after the most recent school shooting, right? We know what that feels like in the pit of our stomach or whether it's women running for office, whether it is, you know, the rise of Black Voters Matter and, and just saying that and putting it out front. I think the silver lining of the Trump era is that we're seeing levels of engagement and meaningful participation in this democracy, which will benefit all of us and and will certainly make this representative government more truly representative of the people of this country and all of its beautiful and rich diversity. So come and be a part of the conversation. And if you want to chip in some money, that would be amazing too. But uh, the thing that I covet the most is for people to, to join us and sort of walking forward and strengthening the institutions of this democracy together. So sarahforgeorgia.com. And thank you guys so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Sarah Riggs and Mika. We will be back in your ears on Monday on Instagram stories with a news brief and Patreon with a nightly nuance. And then of course, back on the show on Tuesday until then keep it nuanced y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 